Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com. It's a Wednesday. It is March 29th. He is Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. There's a little Major League Baseball opening weekend action getting underway tomorrow, so we'll dive into uh, and get Bob's thoughts on how things are going to shape out in uh, the American League and the National League and each division within those leagues. So we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. We'll also head on out to the KDOS hotline to chat with Luke Jones to figure out what's going on with the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson. The story just keeps getting more and more bizarre. So what's actually true, what's not? We'll dive into that today around 10.15. Your calls at 10.30 and 11.15, 602-260-1060 is the number, of course, to join the program. We'll get a little Valero Texas Open uh, talk as well. Uh, Not as excited for this one because we're just about there for the Masters. So we'll still uh, get into some Valero Texas Open. It'll be a much smaller card as we'll be anticipating Augusta National next week. But as we typically... Time, time out. Yeah. How, do you, how, do you get, how do you get assigned the tournament the week before the Masters? That can't be what you want, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because they've been in this slot for a while and I think they relish the opportunity to kind of have the narrative that uh, you get the, the chance to win and punch your ticket to Augusta National. If you go back to, there were some kind of exciting fireworks about it in 2019. Corey Connors, he Monday qualified into the event, then he went on to win the event, and then he Hmm. obviously punched his ticket to Augusta National because of that. So a lot of kind of unique things do come about, but when we're talking about strength of schedule, when we're talking about eyeballs, maybe on television, it's not as anticipated of an event, but I imagine that the San Antonio community really rallies around it, and maybe that's a reason that they still continue to to like to have the event in that spot on the calendar. Okay, San Antonio, one of the greatest cities I've ever been to, but I've been there in like 20 years. But it was it was a tremendous place back in the day, and I, I have friends that have been there recently, and apparently it's still a tremendous city. So good for that. That's what I hear. I would like to be able to go visit there someday. So it, it's on the list of places to travel. Yeah, very cool place. Very clean city, too. I remember that specifically. So, you know, amongst the uh, San Antonio and Salt Lake City come to mind as clean cities. Fair enough. KDOS1060.com. That's our first poll question of the day. Baseball related. Which of the following most likely represents the National League in the World Series? You have Atlanta, Los Angeles, New York, or San Diego. And we have some San Diego love out in front at 44% of the vote. Now we have the Los Angeles love sitting at 33%. And then Atlanta and New York each tied at 11% apiece. Yeah, and I kind of had to reduce this because, uh, you know, we can't put in 100 teams in the, as far as the poll question goes. I think there's uh, 
Yeah, same thing yesterday with the American League, as I briefly talked about it, you know, yesterday during the one-hour sports zone. Uh, but you know, the fact that I don't have Philadelphia in here is because of you know Harper's not going to play most likely for the first two months, coming off the Tommy John surgery. Hoskins might be out for the season, even though they said yesterday that he may be back by the end of the season. Uh, but he's certainly out for a long, you know, the majority of the season for sure. And as far as uh, you know, the uh, the Mets with the Edwin Diaz injury and so forth, I left them in. But uh, you know, there's a you had to you had to do something here, so we kind of removed some teams. St. Louis, um, they're they got, they're starting the year with people on the injured list, so I took them out too. On Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, Diamondbacks win total, riding with some young guys this year, over 75.5 wins, under 75.5 wins, over now leading the way at 57.1%, under trailing at 42.9% of the vote. This is on Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060. Yeah, I've not talked to anybody that likes this under. Everybody seems to like the Diamondbacks over. Yeah, Matt from Phoenix, our best baseball caller, uh, he's on the over. My best friend who does a lot of these baseball totals, he likes the over. Matt Schneider, who we talked in the last hour, he likes the over. i got to make a decision this afternoon whether I like the over or not, or at least by 10 a.m. tomorrow morning i got to figure this out. There's somebody I'm considering betting over the total, and uh, you know, partly because I like what they have, but also there's just too many smart people that I know that like them over the total. Well, we'll dive into this around 11.30 today. As I mentioned, we'll make room for Luke Jones with uh, WNST from Baltimore to talk uh, Ravens and Lamar Jackson around 10.15. But first, some things that uh, transpired yesterday from the NFL owners meetings that were taking place at the Biltmore this week. One of the bigger topics has been flexing games and flexing games now to Thursday night football. This has been something that reportedly Roger Goodell really wants there is already going to be a change to flexing this season with flexing available for Monday night football starting week 14 and moving throughout the season with at least 12 days notice so this is going to be new we've had flexing from Sunday to Sunday night for quite some time Monday night football is starting this season as a new addition Roger Goodell wants the Thursday night flexing as well the reported proposal would be that that flexing would start week 14 to week 17 with 15 days notice well Giants owner John Mara has come out and he is very much against it here is his uh, exact quote about the situation People have gotten used to going from Sunday afternoon to Sunday night. That doesn't mean that they like it. This year, we could be flexed to Monday night, which I think is really inconsiderate to our ticket holders. To flex a game back to Thursday night, to me, is just abusive. I am adamantly opposed to it. Fortunately, it didn't get enough votes today, but it will probably be revisited in May. According to Albert Breer of SI.com, the unofficial vote was 22 owners for it, eight owners against it, two owners abstaining. It needs 24 votes to pass, so it's just two votes, at least unofficially, from moving in the direction of flexing. Okay, a couple things to come to mind here. Does, does like, Al Michaels, you know, just storm in front of the owners and they, you know, I got tired of watching the crap that I had to watch last year and we need to flex Thursday night football. <laughs> I'm somewhat kidding on that. Not completely. Wouldn't shock me if he actually did that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was certainly... Uh, 
frustrated. <laughs> Let's put it that way. We all Last knew year his with... frustrations, right? Wasn't hiding it. <laughs> no, which is you know one of the reasons we we like Al Michaels. At least I like Al Michaels. So that was that. The other thing is. Yeah, this is a completely different deal, but I remember if you go back to the Denny Green, you know, they are who we thought they were night uh, when the Bears were here on the Monday night game way back in the day. And I, it was unbelievable how many people from Bears fans or people even from Chicago actually traveled here for that game. And what they, I can't imagine, you know, that's got to be, uh, you know, that, that's not something you just change in 15 days. So I think that's the best local example of you know how you know a flexing situation could definitely. I certainly I'm totally understandable about the people that do, do some traveling or you know whatever to see their favorite team play. If you live in California, come here or wherever you live to come here or go anywhere else. But I get that part, and I think the best local example was that was that Monday night game against the Bears back in the day. Yeah, so just to kind of put this all into context, right, it's coming from a money-driven standpoint. When Amazon spends oh, yeah. $1 billion in order to get Thursday night football, and essentially they had one good game last year, and that was the very first game. There was a lot of, <laughs> as you mentioned, Horrific games. Al Michaels not really being silent on what we were watching here. Too many uh, Denver games. <laughs> um, but And so I'm 100% on the side of John Mara here because, to your point, I remember I was very excited. I had never gotten to go to Gillette Stadium. I Well, at the yeah. time, I had thought it was going to be pretty close to Tom Brady's last year, and then he ended up playing another gazillion years. But so, <laughs> I, you know, I had this whole thing planned. You know, you take time off of work. You, you buy your tickets. You, ha- you purchase the tickets for the game. And so I think – when we're looking at who's for it, who's against it, what what's being driven here, it's clearly the the money from the money is being made from these you know TV and uh, streaming revenues. They're not necessarily being made from the fan, but the fan is what supports this. So you really have to, I think, be careful about how much you're going to keep upsetting people and how this is going to move forward. I know you want to make decisions and you want to try to to grow your revenue. Hot, but you have to be careful about how many things you do that really start upsetting people to the point that they just stop watching or stop promoting or stop supporting. Totally agree with that. Uh, the whole premise there, as, as far as all that goes, I will say, selfishly speaking, I guess the other side of that is just somebody who's you know not traveling and going to games and whatever. The only games I go to are the Cardinals home games. Yeah, and not too many of those are going to be affected by a flex, at least in the near future, for you know, God knows how many years. At least this year. Uh, but you know, for somebody who just, I want to watch the best games possible. So as a television viewer only, yeah, you know, I think you're in favor of this. But if you're alter, if it alters your life, uh, that's a whole different thing. You know, I think you make an interesting point here because now you're going to start maybe potentially upsetting CBS and Fox with the Sunday afternoon slate of games, right? So if you flex out good matchups that make when we come back on a Monday morning and say, wow, what a great weekend that was. It was just game after game that was just great. You move a potential game to Thursday. You isolate a game on Sunday night. You isolate another game on Monday night football. It also kind of changes maybe that feel of what we think about sitting 
sitting sitting down with our Sunday NFL ticket and, and watching all the games wall to wall from morning to night. The other thing is, you know, this is actually something that they need to figure out here pretty quickly because remember, you know, the schedule is actually revealed shortly after the draft, mm-hmm. and uh, that's like a month from now, or less, a little less than a month from now, I guess. So that's so there is a time frame thing going on here. Uh, there is one thing that did come out from all of this in regards to Thursday night football, and uh, this was voted through that teams will now be able to play and I don't know that they really want to be able to play but they will be able to play two Thursday night games instead of just one so this is Ooh. not including the the Thanksgiving games obviously the Cowboys right. had two because of the Thanksgiving they're traditionally there but um Thursday night football games outside of the Thanksgiving teams can now be put in this spot twice you know, and actually, the odd thing last year is, and we all kind of liked watching the Lions play, right? Mm-hmm. The only time they were actually on national television last year was Thanksgiving Day, until the last Sunday night game of the year, which was actually flexed. That's correct. Yes. Um, you know, I do have a few more things here about this Thursday night. And, you know, we can obviously argue about Thursday night games in terms of whether or not we should even have them from a player safety standpoint. Um, I don't even think we could argue that. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> yeah. They, they should not have them. <laughs> you know, a four days rest, lack of body recovery time, lack uh, of prep time, lack of practice. Uh, Sometimes you have to wonder, are you just kind of sleepwalking through the game? Like the level of play really drops off. And that's just because the game is being played on Thursday. So there's a find, lot. Find me a player. Yeah. Find me a player who likes Thursday night games. I've yet to, to stumble into that. <laughs> no, I don't think there is one. We'll get into more NFL with Ravens Lamar Jackson talk. Luke Jones of WNST set to join us on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline to try to figure out what's going on in Baltimore between the Ravens and quarterback Lamar Jackson. We're joined by Luke Jones from WNST in Baltimore. Luke, it's Bob and Kayla today. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing fantastic. Uh, there's kind of a lot to figure out in a timeline perspective here as well and what's fact and what's fiction so hopefully you can help delineate for us a report came out that the ravens offered jackson an extension worth 250 million and 133 million guaranteed when he signed that contract that would run through the 2027 season the report is that lamar turned this down and he wants a similar deal to deshaun watson which was 230 million fully guaranteed for five years then you have the ravens franchise tagging lamar but it's non-exclusive, followed by Lamar tweeting out this week that he has asked the Ravens for a trade. So what parts have we gotten right, wrong, and what is the relationship really like? I think you got most of it right. I mean, I think that's the understanding that most of us are working under. And keep in mind, I mean, we're, you know, this has very much been a case of the Ravens being quite quiet uh, as far as what they've offered, how talks have gone. You know, we've heard Eric DaCosta talk on a few occasions, their general manager, talking about it taking two to, to tango. Uh, we, we've gotten that indication over the last couple of years that Lamar hasn't always uh, been willing to engage uh, in talks the way that a traditional agent w- would do. Uh, and Lamar has said very little about it. So 
Uh, what you just put together you know, sums it up nicely. I'll point out that when he announced earlier this week that when he made that trade request, that was the day after Eric DaCosta spoke at the Combine in Indianapolis and five days before the Ravens officially put the non-exclusive tag on him. So it's messy. It's complicated. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that anyone hasn't gathered at this point after two-plus years of negotiations uh, for the longest time in town. Fans would bristle about these questions because they, they'd say, it's a non-story. Of course Lamar and the Ravens are going to work it out. Well, uh, if, if it was a non-story, then why hasn't it happened? And here we are two-plus years later. Uh, look, I, I don't think that the trade request itself necessarily means that this isn't salvageable, doesn't mean that uh, they're definitely parting ways, uh, because the reality is, even with the non-exclusive tag, that, that was essentially an invitation for Lamar to go get his, seek his value in the way that you would when a player requests a trade uh, in, in instances like this. So uh, a trade request can oftentimes be uh, exactly what my gut tells me this is at this point in time, which is a negotiating ploy. Now, that doesn't mean that won't ultimately be the end result at some point. But uh, you know, to, to answer your questions, uh, you, you summed it up nicely, but it's complicated. And I'm not exactly sure that we're going to get a swift resolution here. And uh, this is something that could play out all through the summer. And I wouldn't even be shocked if we're sitting here a year from now still talking about this situation. John Harbaugh has really said all the right things, it seems, throughout this Lamar drama. Uh, how frustrated do you think he actually might be or really is regarding all this stuff in the last you know, two, a couple of years running now, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the organization has to be frustrated. I mean, there's no question about that. And, and on the flip side, Lamar Jackson has to be frustrated. I think what's made this so complicated, Bob and Kayla, is that both of these parties come from a fair – negotiating you know, a fair argument you know, that has some merit. If you're Lamar, you're saying, well, if Deshaun Watson got this after sitting out a year and all of his off-field junk that I've, you know, I don't have any off-field issues like that. I haven't been accused of you know, sexual assault or anything like that in the same way he was. So why, why don't I deserve that? On the flip side, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you're saying, Lamar, we understand that. However, we've been in the same division as, as the Cleveland Browns for the better part of two-plus decades, and uh, they're one of the worst, very worst organizations in professional sports. So we're not going to take our business cues off of what they do. So, you know, that, that's where it leads to this impasse. I don't think it's gotten personal. I, I think I, I do truly believe and, and know that the Ravens love Lamar Jackson, the person. Uh, I do believe that Lamar Jackson, all things being equal, even with this trade request, my gut still tells me that he would be more than willing to still and still want to play in Baltimore long term if they would meet his price. Uh, and on the flip side, the Ravens, as much as they do like Lamar Jackson, uh, they, to this point in time, have not been willing to go as far as the full guarantee that he seeks. So, you know, I, I've said for a while now, you know, there's almost been this perception uh, of fans, and I understand. I mean, they, they want this to work out. They, they, they want their franchise quarterback to marry the, the, the organization long term. But uh, I think we need to, you know, pull back on some of the warm fuzzies as far as these sides loving each other as much as they have said in the past but that doesn't mean they don't want you know that they don't want each other or, or the Ravens don't want Lamar but two plus years into this as I said if you, if you really wanted to make this work you know both sides would have come to an agreement at some point so there has to be frustration but does that mean that this is at a point where they you know no at the point of no return 
I don't think they're there yet, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. The reality is Lamar can request a trade. One, the Ravens have to grant it. Two, there has to be a team that wants him at the price that he's asking for and the compensation that the Ravens would ask for, which is at the very least the first-round picks, the offer sheet process. So it's complicated, but uh, again, I think this is just all part of a very difficult, unique, and at times, more, more recently, bizarre negotiating process. Luke Jones, WNST in Baltimore here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. So let's play out this potential trade and figure out what teams would potentially be interested in Lamar Jackson. So uh, a lot has been floated out about the Indianapolis Colts. I'd imagine that they would need to give up the fourth pick in this year's draft if it were to get done this offseason. The Falcons, but they've said that they aren't interested and announced Desmond Ritter, the starter, on Tuesday. The Commanders, Ron Rivera is quoted as saying he didn't think it was a direction they wanted to go. Uh, I've also maybe heard the Vikings with Kirk Cousins playing out the last year of his deal. But what really is the market for Lamar Jackson? I mean, Kayla, it just doesn't seem like there is one right now. Now, all it takes is one team. And keep in mind, uh, Deshaun Watson had eliminated the Cleveland Browns from that process a year ago uh, until Jimmy Haslam comes over the top with uh, the offer that changed everything and, and has the Ravens in this mess, quite frankly, uh, in my opinion. But uh, I, I think you just look at it, it's complicated. I mean, you look at the current cap space. I mean, you mentioned it. Going into the start of the new league year, Atlanta was the team that on paper, you looked at all the cap space. You know, Desmond Ritter looked okay at the end of last year, but we're not talking about a first-round pick. Uh, but they've spent a whole lot. And their cap space, you know, I, I think, and I'm go- just going off of Over the Cap, the site that does a great job with, salary caps around the NFL, and they've got like $20 million in cap space right now. I mean, that's not nearly the, the kind of flexibility you're going to need to sign Lamar Jackson the deal he seeks and also a deal that the Ravens wouldn't match, hypothetically. I think Indy is still the team, if you're going to ask me to name one right now, that feels plausible. I know Chris Ballard's talked about it in some terms that leaving open the possibility, but I also know Jim Ursay at the owners' meetings talked about not wanting to do a fully guaranteed contract. So, you know, I think the commanders are interesting, not because of, you, know, you just said it, Ron Rivera has thrown cold water on it, but they've got a new ownership group coming, presumably. And what better way, if you're an ownership group that's going to spend, I don't know, what, five, six, $6 billion, whatever the reported asking price is of Daniel Snyder, you know, could that be something theoretically, uh, that, that they would try to do, sure, but what's the time frame of that? And even if you're talking about some of these teams waiting uh, until after the draft, as some people have, have uh, suggested, you know, it's just not that simple to create that much cap space without you know, starting to blow up your roster. And Are, are you going to do that a month and a half, two months, three months into the offseason? So I just don't know who it is at this point. And that's not to say that there aren't teams, all things being equal, that would be all over Lamar Jackson, but again, goes back to every single variable, his asking price, the compensation to the Ravens, the fact that he doesn't have an agent, the fact that he's missed roughly a third of their games over the last two years, uh, and coupling with that his style of play that, you know, throwing out the scenario of a serious, you know, career-ending injury, just how's he going to age? You know, he's going to slow down as he gets older, as we all do. So, you know, you just have so many different factors at work that, have complicated this, and yeah, sure. I mean, if people want to throw out the, the, the collusion element, these are rich billionaires who talk and do business a certain way to, <laughs> to get to the point that they've gotten to in their respective lives. So uh, to me, it's all those different things, but you know, to, to, 
cap space and they have the fourth overall pick. But I just, at this point, especially now, what, we're two weeks into the new league year, I, I just don't see it. So uh, it really is a case where I, I'm not expecting a, a resolution for this thing anytime soon, which makes it very difficult for the Ravens in their efforts to try to improve for 2023. You mentioned the injury thing. That, that's exactly what I was going to bring up next. He's been banged up the last couple of years. How much does that factor into this current situation or current stalemate, so to speak? I mean, I think it has to. Uh, and, and let's be very clear. This is not to say that Lamar is bound to suffer a career-ending injury. I mean, we saw Dak Prescott suffer a gruesome injury on the tag just a couple of years ago, and he turned out fine, right? Uh, it, it's not to say that any durability, health, Eight, you know, as he gets older, older, how does his game age? None of that, in my opinion, disqualifies him from what would be the conventional top-of-market deal that, frankly, the Ravens offered, which was you know, a, a, a reported 133 fully, you know, fully guaranteed at signing and then upwards of about 175 for uh, injury guarantee. And then there was another rolling guarantee that I wouldn't really call a guarantee because it was a couple years down the line. But the point is, the, the Ravens haven't lowballed him to the point where it was only the 10th best quarterback contract or anything like that. They just haven't given them the full guarantee. And, look, it doesn't change my life one way or the other. And I'm not rooting against Lamar Jackson or rooting for the Ravens to get him at hit their price, but I can certainly see trepidation, the hesitancy to look at how the last couple of years have played out with Lamar, understanding the history of running quarterbacks, understanding just biology and how we all get – lower and less athletic as we get older and that's true for pro athletes too that yeah i'll give lamar i'll give him the moon from a more conventional standpoint but if it's the deshaun watson full guarantee at signing plus more yeah i i'm not exactly looking at him as the prototype that i'm going to give that kind of deal to regardless of what the cleveland browns did a year ago He's Luke Jones, WNST in Baltimore here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, you know, kind of along the lines of assessing what's going on offensively, wide receivers has been a bit of an issue here for the Ravens. Traded Hollywood Brown last offseason. A bunch of injuries did happen to the Ravens wide receiver core this season. But the big acquisition, I guess, was Nelson Aguilar. And I'm not really sure that that's a big time acquisition here. So is any of this factoring in from... You know, Lamar's standpoint, is any of this factoring in from the Ravens in the front office standpoint about maybe potentially directional uh, issues for, for the Ravens moving forward? Well, I mean, I, and Bob and I have probably talked about this a half dozen times going all the way back to the Joe Flacco years uh, of the Ravens. <laughs> as great of an organization as they are, wide receiver has absolutely been a blind spot. Uh, and that's not to say they haven't made attempts. As you just mentioned, Kayla, they drafted Marquise Brown in 2019. Rashad Bateman two years later. And before the Hollywood Brown trade on, on draft night last year, it kind of felt like the Ravens were not the best wide receiver group in the NFL, but better, uh, certainly representative, and they had put forth the effort. But I think where, where the, the problem was, one, trading Hollywood Brown was one thing, but not replacing him was a major mistake, a major tactical error. Uh, it's something that I wasn't comfortable with even before Bateman got hurt. Uh, so, so you have that. Do I think that factors into Lamar's frustration level a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think that would be fair. I, I don't think that's priority one or at the top of his list. But what's complicated now, because you mentioned Nelson Aguilar, and again, there's nothing big about that signing. It's just, you know, it is what it is. If he's 
their number four receiver, then fine. But if he's a starting receiver, then it's much of the same for the Ravens. But the problem is what I just mentioned as far as the Ravens' offseason, they're in a position where they're trying to maintain as much cap flexibility as they can in the event that there is that mystery team that tries to sign Lamar to an offer sheet. And maybe it's you know uh, an offer that's better than theirs, but not the full guarantee that Lamar has uh, you know, well, you know, we, we assume to be seeking uh, all this time. Uh, so there's that. And then on the flip side, okay, it's one thing Nelson Aguilar, who, let's face it, is not a number one wide receiver. He's not a number two wide receiver. He, needs, he wants a job, right? And the Ravens were a great opportunity and offered him $3.25 million to do it. But if you're a receiver like Odell Beckham, even met with the Ravens at the owners' meetings out in Phoenix, are you going to eagerly sign up with the Baltimore Ravens when you have no idea – if Lamar Jackson or whoever their quarterback is going to be. So uh, everything you said about wide receiver is valid. I mean, it's something that I've banged the table about for years with this organization, which, uh, you know, despite all their success, it's an area they've really you know, dropped the ball at times. But I, I, can, I do understand the reality of where they are right now, and they're, they're just kind of stuck. So I, I think their best bet, uh, short of Lamar, coming to an agreement with them tomorrow and Maybe they try to acquire DeAndre Hopkins or whoever might be out there via trade, but I think their best bet's probably going to be to the draft, and that's where they've tried in recent years. But, yeah, the results have been mixed, and uh, you know, I, I, I suspect even if Lamar is lining up at quarterback uh, for the Ravens this fall and, and all is well, or at least temporarily well, uh, we're going to be talking about wide receiver in Baltimore as we do on an annual basis. Okay, one last thing for me here. Sorry. Um, I, I got to ask you about Calais Campbell, who obviously started his career here and his younger days here. He used to come on this show as uh, just wanted to kind of practice his media savvy and uh, whether he could do that as a career. And I think he eventually will. But why is Campbell no longer there? Because obviously he wants to play. He's going to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really did come down to cost and their salary cap picture. I mean, this was a Ravens team that had to clear space just to fit Lamar Jackson's $32.4 million cap figure, let alone if they had any designs at any point about using the exclusive tag, which ultimately they didn't. But, you know, Calais, his cap number was supposed to be a little over $9 million. He was owed $7 million in new money. I do know they tried to work out a revised deal, but he ultimately got released two days before the start of the new league year. That's typically, you know, when you have that kind of timing, that's typically a sign that, the Ravens wanted him to take too much of a pay cut. And Calais being uh, still uh, playing at a high level, okay, he's not the guy he was five or ten years ago, but he still uh, was their best defensive lineman a year ago. He said, you know, I'll, I'll explore my other options. And he had plenty of, of suitors where he was at least talking to them. Yeah. I'm a little surprised it's Atlanta, based on the fact that I know he's been chasing a Super Bowl for a long time. Uh, but, you know, him also – recognizing he's an NFLPA guy. If the Falcons stepped up financially a little more than some of the other teams he talked to, that makes a little bit more sense. But love Calais Campbell. I wish him well. And uh, he certainly made a very positive impact on and off the field here in Baltimore, as, uh, as you just alluded to, he did the same in Phoenix. Luke, we greatly appreciate you taking some time trying to dissect everything. And uh, as you've pointed out a couple of times, this is a complicated matter, probably not being resolved tomorrow. So we'll likely be checking back with you soon. That sounds good. Take care, Bob and Kayla. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Once again, he is Luke Jones there uh, with WNST in Baltimore. And, yeah, I saw that. Calais Campbell signing with the Atlanta Falcons. And I also saw um, 
a secondary report that it ended up being like a 40-minute conversation that he had with Arthur Blank about community service and things that were important to Calais Campbell off of the field and wanting to make sure that those values and things were supported within the organization with the Falcons. And so ultimately, I think that contributed to him wanting to go there. Not surprising there. I'll tell you another thing. These teams in the NFC South realize that, uh, that there's a window to win this division. Yes, they. <laughs> these teams, these teams are taking the opportunity. At least they're trying. They're doing the best they can. Every one of them is. Yo, you're 100 percent right maybe, on that. Except for maybe Tampa. Six zero two two sixty ten sixty. We'll take your calls quickly if you'd like to get in on the other side of the break. Six zero two two sixty ten sixty. It is the extra point. The Dan Patrick Show, weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. This is just uh, something I like to call breakfast. With big-name guests, timely sports information, and more on KTUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Thanks to Luke Jones there for a great conversation about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And you can always podcast shows and interviews, KDOS1060.com, also with the KDOS 1060 app. 602-260-1060 is the number. We've kind of missed the time now for those phone calls, so we'll try to do that again in our number two. But supposedly, Kevin Durant, he's supposed to be making his home debut tonight. He is officially listed as questionable, but it had been reported by Shams last week and seeing further reports as well that all eyes are pointing to tonight's showdown against the Timberwolves that he'll be returning to action 7 p.m. on ESPN as well as Bally Sports Arizona. Uh, what are some reasonable expectations for KD's return tonight? I mean, I'd have to imagine minutes restriction is definitely on the table. So what do we figure? Like twenty-five minutes, kind of what they've done when Booker came back the first, you know, the second time for Booker, and then when Durant did come back. So I'm guessing twenty-five minutes. That sound fair? I think that sounds fair, uh, and seemingly okay. in line with what they've done previously. Yeah. So let's go. Let's say this plays twenty-five minutes. So let, I'm, let me. I'll, th- I'll throw out an over/under for points. Let's go eighteen. I'd probably bet that over. Maybe that number's too low. But if you're only going to play 25 minutes and you still got Booker, who's scoring 31 a game in the games, the 10 games that Durant has missed, Booker's scoring 31 a game. And uh, the Suns, are they're not having problems scoring when Durant isn't played. Uh, yeah, they're 4-6 and six in the 10 games he didn't play. They averaged 18, 118 points per game, shot almost, you know, they almost shot 50% in those games. They shot 48%. They've given up. 117 points per game without Durant, and some of that was without you know four of those games without Aiton too. So it's kind of a double double problem there defensively. But you know, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'll say 18 points in 25 minutes. That's that's I think that's realistic, and considering that when we've seen Durant play, and I'm sure. One thing with his injury, I bet I'm guessing about the only thing he's really been doing until the last, you know, three or four days here is you know you can shoot, and so that that's not a big problem of his to begin with. So you didn't he didn't go sit in the corner for you know, you know three weeks. Three weeks from today was when he went out the last time. So I think that uh, 
you know, I expect him to be able to shoot the ball when he comes back, and that hopefully is tonight. You, it's funny that you mentioned shoot because when he returned the first time, uh, you know, from the trade and getting back on the court for the first time with the Suns after missing multiple months with a knee injury, shooting is what he did. It, it was just like he got shot out of a cannon. Uh, it looks like yeah. every single shot was just going in. Everything was just absolutely with perfect touch, uh, and the numbers bear that out as well. In the three games with the the Suns. It's also kind of crazy to think it was only three games. Kevin Durant was 69% from the floor, 53.8% from three. He averaged 26.7 points per game. And then when we talk about what else he brings to the table, that's what we really need to start seeing come together for the Suns. 7.3 rebounds per game, 1.3 blocks, and also what he can deliver on the defensive end. Right. I think that actually you know, his shooting, I remember the first time we saw him play live was he played an exhibition, not an exhibition game, but a non-conference game here at uh, downtown uh, when he was playing with Texas. And uh, he can he's always been able to shoot the ball. So that's, you know, kind of his strength. However, I think because he's so good at that, and you've mentioned the term effortless a couple of times uh, regarding his scoring ability, because it is so effortless, I, I think that other areas of his game are kind of forgotten, including passing, but especially his defense. And considering this team does not have a, an arsenal of defensive players, quite frankly, especially after the uh, departures of Bridges and, yeah, I think Cam Johnson right now uh, would be, uh, if they had everybody intact, let's say Durant's not here, but it was the current, the previous roster. I think you make a pretty good case that Cam Johnson would be their third best defender uh, behind, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Bridges and, and Aiton. Uh, so, you know, his defense is tremendous. Uh, so, you know, that that's actually the one thing I assume that the Suns are maybe most interested in watching him do. They're just going to kind of, if they're letting him play, they're going to assume he's going to be okay at the offensive end and, and so forth. But, you know, defense, you're not running like set plays or, you know, screen rolls or whatever, you know, the, the other, the opposing team or the opposing offensive player dictates how you move defensively. And if I'm the Suns, that's the thing I'm probably paying attention to most as far as his leg injury. You also mentioned in the sports zone that when KD went out with the injury, the Suns were in fourth. As it is today here on uh, Wednesday, March 29th, the Suns are in fourth in the NBA West. But today could be different if things go a certain way because both the Suns and the Clippers play tonight. The Suns are taking on the Timberwolves and the Clippers are taking on the Grizzlies. The Clippers are sitting at 40 and 36. The Suns are sitting at 40 and 35. As we continue down the board in the NBA West, six of the Warriors at 40 and 37 as they picked up a win last night. The Timberwolves 39 and 37. The Pelicans 38 and 38 losing to the Warriors last night. The Lakers 37 and 38. They play the Bulls tonight, the Thunder 37 and 39, and the Mavericks 37 and 39. The Mavericks play the 76ers. I swear the Mavericks just play the 76ers all the time. They've played them like now three <laughs> times in the last uh, like three weeks, two weeks. But uh, this is, you know, the ever changing potential glob of the NBA West, but that's uh, some potential implications. But for the Clippers, you know, not having uh, Paul George and, and moving forward without him. Yeah, I think if you just take a look right now, the Suns, I think, are, you know, I mentioned we had the question earlier this week, have they weathered the storm? And uh, I think they have, you know, obviously the assumption that Aiton and Durant stay healthy for the remainder of the regular season. 
but the fact they just went through 10 games without Durant and won four of those, four of those uh, games also were without Eaton, and they only won one of the four that he didn't play. So I think that uh, it, it seems like injury-wise, and I did look at some of the schedules the other day. I wish I didn't. I don't have that handy, but in my alleged brain here, you know, a lot of these teams below the Suns are still playing each other at least one or two times down the, quote, stretch run here. So when that happens, one of those teams has to lose every night when they're playing each other at least. Yes, the Suns and the Timberwolves, 7 p.m. tonight, Bally Sports Arizona, as well as uh, ESPN for that contest. Mavericks at 76ers at 4.30 p.m., Clippers at Grizzlies, 5 p.m., Lakers at Bulls, 5 p.m. for some of that NBA West uh, action tonight in the NBA. On the other side, we'll quickly get into uh, the Valero Texas Open. We'll figure out what direction we're going to go. Can somebody who is not already qualified for the Masters, punch their ticket to Augusta National next week. There's only 11 players in this field that are already qualified for Augusta, so a lot is on the line here this week on the PGA Tour. We'll dive into that a little bit on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com, and the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point on this Wednesday, March 29th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, we're up. We're with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, as we quickly get into the Valero Texas Open on the PGA Tour. They're playing at TPC San Antonio. It's a Greg Norman designed golf course, par 72, 7,438 yards. Last chance for you to punch your ticket into Augusta national next week five of the last 11 valero texas opens have come from first time winners winner of the valero texas open as i mentioned does get that last spot into the masters some things that to to look at here for who we're going to try to identify as being able to win this golf tournament uh strokes gained around the green par five scoring strokes gained 150 to 175 yards strokes gained 175 to 200 yards so being a a really good uh short to to mid iron player as well and having a short game to be able to get up and down wind could be a factor this week in the early part of the week i guess there is some weather expected to be moving through the san antonio area the top of the board tyrell hatton 13 to 1 Corey connors 19 to 1 ricky Fowler. 20 to 1 and Siwoo Kim 21 to 1. I'm trying to train myself, Bob, that like it, it even if you think there's like no value here, the top of the board keeps winning. Uh it's just been this trend that's happening on the PGA tour. So I'm going Siwoo Kim for for the top of the board opportunities here. Siwoo Kim, he loves this place. He finished tied for 13th last year. Uh when you look at how he is in terms of strokes gained approach metrics 
metrics. He's 24th. Strokes gained around the green. He's 72nd. If he can putt the ball, which is always kind of a volatile issue for him, if he's on, he plays really well. There's been some more consistency with him this year. He has won previously in Hawaii this year, also taking him in a top 20 as well, plus 115. Numbers coming to you from the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Nikolai Hogard, uh, he finished second last week. Probably don't know much about him because he's played specifically on the European Tour. In February, though, he's been playing really well, trending in a great direction. Tied for 32nd, tied for 5th, tied for 13th. His odds are 55 to 1. Sometimes you see this. You see a guy who's playing really well, gets an opportunity to play some competition on the PGA Tour. You know, last week in the opposite field event, it wasn't that strong of a field. We don't have that strong of a field this week, so it's kind of similar competition if you will, but he gets himself in the mix, doesn't get it done, but then he's able to come back the following week and get it done. So we're going to go with him. We're also going with him in a head-to-head matchup over Andrew Putnam. And then our long shot is Robbie Shelton, 90 to 1, also a top 40 at plus 140. Uh, Robbie Shelton here, strokes gained approach 34th, strokes gained around the green 28th. So he's got all the metrics that you would need uh, in the short iron to mid iron range of game. When it comes to the old guy who I had mentioned uh, last week in the match play, he took down Victor Hovland, so we'll see if he can keep rolling. He has a lot of success here in San Antonio. Matt Kuchar for a top 20 at plus 125. So that's the Valero Texas Open TPC San Antonio for the PGA Tour. And as I mentioned before, there's only 11 players in the field that already are eligible for Augusta next week. So if you win, you're in for the Masters. We will conclude hour number one here. Get ready for hour number two. We'll dive into Major League Baseball, National League, American League. How do these teams all figure themselves out this year? Bob has some thoughts on it, so we'll get into that, plus your calls and poll questions on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point. (laughs) 